Okay, guys. Okay, I just have to start this off. I'm really sorry. I know in the last episode I said that uh, this week would be back to regular episodes, but I have to push that out one more week. Um, The friend that I was going to record my episode with uh, had to go out of town, so we're pushing it back, but that will be out next week. I promise that this time for sure. Um, But in the meantime, I do still have a special episode for you guys. Some girls reached out to me from London, actually. Their names are uh, Joyce and Anna, and they were super, super sweet and invited me to be on their podcast. Um, And I just think it's great, you know, young people using their platform and using their voices. So they were so kind to give me permission to put that episode up here, too. So um, their show is called Eloping with the Truth, and I will link the show in the episode description. So definitely go check that out so you can hear more from them. Um, Yeah, but that's it. Anyways, hope you enjoy this one and I will be back next week, I promise, with my episode. And in the meantime, if you guys have any questions for me that you want me to answer, things that you're just kind of curious about for me, you can either um, swipe up on the Instagram story that I'm going to put up on the Mind and Pieces podcast Instagram account Or if you're not an Instagram user, you can email me um, any questions you might have for me at mindandpiecespodcast at gmail.com. All right, now on with the episode. Thanks. So today we sit down with Casey, who is the host of the absolutely amazing podcast, Mind in Pieces, which aims to tackle, in her words, real shit from the lived experiences of young adults. So... (laughs) First question, obviously, what made you start your podcast, Mind in Pieces? Um, so I was going through a really rough period at the time. I um in my sophomore year, which I don't I guess that'd be year ten for you guys, um, I was uh diagnosed with chronic migraines. I used to be a soccer player and um I got a lot of concussions and they think that they are probably related, but um I was diagnosed with chronic migraines and then I basically was out of school for a year and a half. Um, And so I was pretty much just like bedridden and I just spent um, all my time in my room, you know, shades drawn, just dark, everything. Um, And it was definitely, I'd already struggled with like depression and anxiety prior to that, but it was really that time period that just made everything so much worse. Like it was just the perfect conditions for depression to fester um so that was around the time that things just started getting really dark for me and really low and I just I'd gone through a point where in what was it It must have been October of 2018 I um basically went to my parents and I was like I don't think I can keep myself safe right now um and so I ended up staying in a psychiatric hospital for 72 hours and um that was a an experience in itself but um it was definitely what i needed and i think you know after that i just had kind of a renewed sense of like yeah this sucks and i hate this feeling but i know that i can't be the only other person feeling this um and i want to talk about it with people but at the same time it's like I feel like mental health in particular is just one of those things where you hear about other people struggling with it and like, you know, the numbers, but when you're just like in that place yourself, you kind of keep doubting that. And you're like, there's no way that, 
you know, other people are feeling this. Everyone else has all their, you know, stuff together. Their lives are perfect and mine's just not. And it's just not the case, but you have to like prove that to yourself almost. So I think part of me was like wanting to selfishly do it to just be like, am I the only one who's messed up or are other people too? So, um, but yeah, it was definitely, definitely what I needed, um, at the time. And I think it's helped a lot of people, which has been really cool. Yeah. So what was it like being in a psychiatric like hospital? It was wild. It was definitely one of those things that I could, if I wanted to, I could probably write a book about it. Like just so much happened in such a short period of time, but, um, it was definitely also just a wake up call for how, uh, just frail and awful the mental health care psychiatric facility, um, system in America is it really just was subpar like so bad guys so bad um they just didn't it didn't have enough staff the facility was not great they forgot my meds two of the days they um like just basic things where you're like that's actually like really important like you can't just like forget someone's meds and um they just like couldn't really control like I was on an all girls floor um and they just they the rules that they have like they thought of everything or it's it's that way because someone tried to break it so it's like the sheets are like tear or like um they tear really easily so that if you tried to like make a noose or something it would break quickly You can only shower for the showers have like buttons that you have to just keep pressing over and over again. And it just gives water for like 15 seconds. You get like little shampoo and conditioner packets in what look like ketchup and mustard, like condiment packets. You, you have to go like request a towel and you only get to have it for like 10 minutes and you have to give it back. And just everything is round edges. There are no points, no corners, anything sharp. And I remember the group, we had a, they like didn't do a good job telling me the schedule. I came in in the middle of the night and basically there were there were different levels. There was like level one, level two and level three. And you wanted to level up because every time you leveled up, you got like more privileges. So it was like once you got to level two, you got to go downstairs to the cafeteria instead of having to just wait and get served whatever they were deciding you were going to have today. Um And I remember I didn't level up because they didn't tell me that there was like a group therapy session in the morning. So I slept through it. And so then for the whole day, I like I had to just eat the meals that they were bringing, which were just so brutal. And and I remember the the first group therapy session that I went to, I um, the woman working it was so like just she did not want to be there at all she was like I she said that to us she was like I don't want to be here I'm just doing this to get my extra hours um and it was it was just such a disaster and it was really sad honestly just seeing like the other girls in there and I was I was at least like aware of how bad it was kind of but the other some of the other girls I like they were just already in such a dark such a hard place to even like really have that awareness at the time that I don't know. It just made me really sad that that was like the quality of care that the system had to offer. Um, and, and that was supposed to be one of the like good facilities in California. So I don't think I've ever heard of anyone. I mean, I know some people who've been like sectioned or been admitted to psychiatric like hospitals, but 
I don't think I've ever heard of anyone like like choosing or like telling someone that they need to go there themselves it's usually someone else going you need this which is that's props to you but it's so terrible then again that you went there expecting help and then it ended up being such a bad system which didn't we have like the NHS so basic universal healthcare um, and services like CAMS which is children and adolescents mental health services which is um, free until you're 18 which is I mean from what I've heard from my friends are pretty good but obviously there are still things that you can always change but in the US as we understand it um, you either pay for health insurance or any treatment you receive so could you expand on that and explain a bit about how the mental health services work? Yeah so the US um, do you guys swear on here too I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, we already said, like, shit in the first sentence. Okay, I guess that's true. Well, the U.S. is a shit show. Um, <laughs> just say that. It's uh, it, it's such a disaster, honestly. And I'm, I'm really lucky because my dad's a doctor, and so he knows, like, the ins and outs of the system more than I do because, honestly, honestly, I think any, if anyone from the U.S. tells you that they, like, really understand, like, the medical system here, then they're absolutely lying because it's... It's way more complicated than necessary. We don't have universal basic health care. We, um, yeah, you pay for insurance and you pay a lot of money for insurance. And sometimes it's like comes through your job. Um, but you basically have to, most of the time you have like really high co-pays still. So you still have to like pay something up front. So like a good example was, um, for, they basically, before you go to the psychiatric facility, like you're at this kind of other facility that's like, I just think of it as like the waiting room at the dentist. Like you're just really there until the psychiatric facility like has a bed free up. So from that facility, you can't, um, you have to be taken in an ambulance to the other facility because a lot of the kids obviously aren't voluntarily there. Like that was pretty rare. And so if they go with a parent or someone else drives them there, there's the possibility that they'll try to like escape basically. So they have to take you in an ambulance there. We got billed for the ambulance because insurance wouldn't cover that. And it was like, it was $13,000. Oh my gosh. So, and it was maybe a five minute ambulance ride, no sirens, no lights, anything. It was just required that I go in an ambulance. So it, it it's such a hard thing too, because there's so much like guilt around it. Like, for so long, I was like, should I have even gone? Like, what should I have done? Should I have not gone? I felt so bad for my parents. I just felt like that was just adding to the fact I was like, I already felt like a burden. And now I I feel even more so like one. And it was just really just an awful, awful system. And um, I think there are a lot of kids who, like, therapy, too, is really, really expensive. And... um. Some people don't have insurance that covers that, and it stops a lot of people from getting um, the help that they need just because of how how expensive it is. Um, so it's just it's just such a broken system, and it's like really sad to think about. Like I'm just so lucky that I've even that my parents have had the financial means to like support me in that way. Um, but there are so many families that don't, and um, the U.S. needs need some help guys we need to like follow in your footsteps because you know obviously it's not perfect and there's still so much work to do but we are a long way away right now from um a solid mental health care infrastructure 
Yeah, I definitely think the services you have for under 18s is a step in the right direction because that's when, like, treating mental health when you're younger prevents it from being a long term issue in the future. So, while like past 18, I think you do have to start like paying for your services. There are other, like, I don't know in like the ins and outs, but it does get, especially if you do then want to go like private, it is still very expensive. Um, so in that sense, especially because, yeah, with the, when I look into therapy and when other people have, it's, it's bad because having it being expensive, you might just think, okay, maybe I'll just have like less frequent therapy sessions. But it's, it's sad because like my sister also studies, um, psychology. So she was like, that is so like, you can't have the same quality of therapy if you're not seeing someone every week. And that's like the minimum. You can't be going there every like month or every two weeks. Like it just isn't the same. And when it's already costing you, it's just, yeah, it shouldn't be something that like finances shouldn't be something that stop you from getting the proper care. And especially if you, you can get like every two weeks, maybe um therapy but it won't be as effective so yeah I completely agree um how did you feel starting out like producing a podcast and how did you handle the exposure and like the fact that you had to like be completely open about personal stuff how did you handle that um yeah it was uh it was weird in the beginning I think because um I I think you guys have probably experienced this by now too but when you record a podcast you you know that it's going out there and you know that other people are going to hear it, but it just doesn't really feel like that because it just feels like you're having a conversation with your friend or whatever. Um, and then you kind of have that realization after that, like, oh, wait, other people are hearing this. So it was definitely just kind of weird at first because, um, yeah, they just really do feel like private conversations. And then suddenly other people are like, oh, my God, I loved it when you said this. And you're like, wait, what? You heard that? Um, but it was it was good. I think I. I learned a lot about myself and just that I, I am just a really open person in general. Like I just do feel um, comfortable just talking to people about things that they struggle with or things that I struggle with. Um, especially just when I feel like it can actually help someone. And so that was, um, it was really like fulfilling for me and it gave me a really, you know, strong sense of like purpose, which it was also something I really needed at the time. And, um, but it was definitely weird having people bring stuff up or, or um, say, you know, I've been through something similar or this and that. And you really do kind of forget that you put that out there. So it's funny when people kind of reference it. Um, but it was it was awesome. It was really cool. But it was it was a weird time, too, because when I first started uh, publishing episodes, I wasn't in school full time. And so my friends would come back from school and they'd be like, everyone on campus is talking about it. And I'm like, I wouldn't know I'm not there. Like, um, so it was funny just like hearing people talk about it through the grapevine kind of. Um, but it it was definitely what I needed at the time. And it, it's given me a lot of um, fulfillment just overall. Yeah, I think we've... Uh... I definitely felt a lot of anxiety at the beginning. Honestly, if it weren't for Joyce, this this would never have happened. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like we we somehow pestered each other into this happening. But um, yeah, it is it is like just being able to like DM people and ask, can we interview um you for something? It's 
it's a very new experience and it's something Joyce is also taking full advantage of. But it's also, yeah, just putting something out there. Also looking at like the stats on Buzzsprout, we're like, oh look, one person in France is listening to our podcast. <laughs> like it's amazing, like how you can put something on the internet and it reaches like everyone. It should be normal by now, but it really isn't when it's I mean, I don't think either me or Joyce were any like big personalities on like Instagram or social media ever, so the exposure yeah, is very true. new, and I think we we have yet to let our parents listen to our podcast. That is still <laughs> a step we have to go through, but yeah, I think it definitely makes you grow. Like it's made me more confident. Like that. Um, sometimes I'm still like, why would someone want to listen to me talking? But like, yeah, it gives you some sort of confidence that you, and also that you're you're getting involved with issues. You're talking about them. You're trying to make sense of things and people appreciate that and I appreciate people who listen to podcasts (laughs) (laughs) definitely and it's funny too because there's so many things that I've become more aware of almost in a negative way but it's it's I find the hardest thing for me to do is just editing the podcast even I barely edit it the only thing I really do is take out when people say names on accident something like that um when they're when they're like revealing private information kind of if they say a name of a teacher I'm like whatever Um, but I, I take out names for the most part. And, um, when I'm editing it, I just am listening to myself talk and I'm like, I hate my voice or I can't believe how many times I said like, um, especially here, like in California, we just like, 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 like literally this, that all the time. Um, and so I'm just very conscious of that. But on one hand, you know, it's like, I'm talking to my peers and so I'm going to use like the slang, what, however we speak. If I were trying to sound professional, it would just be an entirely different podcast, you know? So it just kind of takes away from it. So I just have to remind myself, I'm like, it's okay. It made them feel comfortable. And that's like what you needed for them to open up. And so um, not to be as, you know, self-critical because it's really easy to do that. Yeah. And I think when you're making content in our age group, but also majority kind of for our age group, it's kind of, you listen back and you're like, that just sounds like I'm having a normal conversation. Who is going to want to listen to this? Or it might be not like appropriate to post, but it's what, it's what we're comfortable listening to and talking about. And yeah, I think it's like a, a type of new type of content for our generation. So we shouldn't really, if it's relevant to us, I think it, it is already doing something good. So yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um. So in terms of like school, did you find it really weird, like going back to school after? Well, I mean, I assume you took a break from school when you were like in the psychiatric treatment place. Like, how was that going back? It was weird. Um, but mostly just because I hadn't been in school in so long that you just kind of forget the routines, the, just the daily happenings of school. Um, but I was pretty open about it, and so it. I never felt like other people had the power to hold it over my head, kind of. Like, I never felt like um, I, I was confident enough in it and I was, like, sure enough of my own experiences that I, if anyone tried to use that as something against me, I was like, no, like, come on, that's, I'm just not going to take that. And no one really did, but I think it was because they kind of got the sense that I wouldn't, I wouldn't take shit. Um, <laughs> so it... Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be, I would say, but it was just weird to have to get back into a routine of school again because it's like coming back after summer where 
you know, you like it for the first week. You're like, oh my God, it's great to see all my friends and be back in school. And then after that, you're like, why was I looking forward to this? I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> so it was kind of yeah. that, that kind of experience, but it was weird having people be like, oh, I listened to the podcast. And I'm like, you did? Why are you interested? Like, why did you want to listen? Like, it just, <laughs> you still have those, those doubts a little bit. So it's just funny when people are, people tell you that they listen and you have that like kind of surreal moment of like, especially when they, um, you don't really know them that well because now they have like a deeper, better understanding of you and they know you almost, but you don't know them. Um, but they feel like they know you. I don't know. It's just a weird, it's a weird dynamic, but it's really cool at the end of the day. So yeah. Yeah. I also think the thing that like a podcast does is like, I mean, we haven't talked too much about our own experiences yet on our podcast, but it, I, I imagine it a, like allows you to kind of take charge of your own narrative. Like if you're putting it out there, you're showing that you're not ashamed of it. And especially talking about difficult subjects, it means that no one's going to be whispering behind your back about something because you literally posted it on the internet. Like that's where it is. And and also being like critical, but also showing other people's perspectives and that it's not just something that you struggle with alone. Because even if everyone has their own like events in their lives which cause them to have worsening mental health, you can still like relate to them and it's not something that like should be ashamed of because everyone kind of has a time in their life when they feel low and it shouldn't be something you don't talk about because then it just makes the whole thing worse. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me, I don't know if you guys ever saw Pitch Perfect, but it reminds yeah. me of Fat Amy from <laughs> Pitch Perfect. It's like, if if I call myself Fat Amy, like, you can't do it behind my back. So, it's, you know, it's kind of the, the same mentality, but it just kind of, yeah, it definitely makes you, like, own your own narrative a lot more. Mm -hmm. How did you, like, find approaching people to come on your podcast? Like, did you find that easy or how was that? Um, you know, it's funny. The first person that I had on my podcast was, um, in my like acquaintance friend circle, like we knew each other, um, and we, you know, hung out in groups together, but we weren't like super close one-on-one. -on -one. And I remember I was at a party with her and we, the reason I knew too, that she had struggled with something was because just in middle school, we ended up running into each other in the therapist's waiting room. So it was like, oh, we both know that the other one's like got something going on there. Um, and so I I just kind of went up to her and I was just like, hey, I don't know like your whole story and stuff, but I know we've talked like a little bit before about just, you know, going through things. And um, I want to start this podcast. Would you be willing to be on it? And she was like, yeah, 100%. And she was super, super open, which I think kind of set the tone for the rest of the podcast. And then people kind of who were coming on after sort of knew that that it was okay for them to be completely open and vulnerable. Um, but it, it's hard. It's hard asking people because you don't want to make them uncomfortable. But at the same time, you, um, you know, you want them to come on and you want them to tell their story because you know that it'll help other people and a lot of times help them. And a lot of people say it's really like cathartic to just be able to kind of talk about what you've been through and um but it's it's scary. It's I'm just not a big social media person in general. And um, it's just hard. It's hard reaching out to people, especially people you kind of barely know. And it definitely did give me anxiety for a bit. Um, 
But it was like that good anxiety where it was like not crippling. It was just to the point where um, I had to kind of just push through it and remind myself that there would be a, you know, a good outcome on the other end. Um, But it's weird. It's weird having to ask people to do stuff. And it's weird, too, because you're like, well, you come on my podcast and I don't know, you kind of it's. It's this weird feeling where um, you don't want to sound like you're up on some pedestal and you're really not, but uh, it can kind of come off that way if you're like, listen to my podcast or are you coming on the show? (laughs) Just something like that. So, yeah, I also think it takes a while to convince people that like being on the podcast doesn't mean you have to be any type of like personality have any special like anything that they consider like special about them you just have to have a story and a perspective exactly like the number of people who've come on the podcast like the first thing I that most people say when I ask them if they want to do it is I don't have anything to talk about I haven't been through anything interesting and every single person has like my personal opinion is that everyone has a story regardless of whether you think it's interesting or not Like, you're going to think your own story is boring, of course, because, like, you lived it. But other people have no idea what's going on. And honestly, every story, like, can be interesting. You don't need to have some, like, insanely catastrophic event for, you know, where you lost your whole family in a fire or something for it to be, (laughs) like, for people to want to listen and know your experiences. Like, you can have, like, a mundane life and people will still want to know, you know, what that's been like. So... It is it is interesting, though, how much people, like, invalidate their own experiences and how much they're just like, no, no one want to listen to it. It's not worth listening to. And it is. So it's it's hard having to convince people of that sometimes. Yeah. Um. So, like, mental health services definitely vary regionally as well, especially in the U.S. where the, as you said, the health service is very, like, um, complex. How do you think this, like, affects how you were treated? And how do you think this could be, like, improved? I don't know if you have an opinion on it or if you know anything about it, but it would be interesting to know. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's tough because I'm an inherently very, like, political person. Like, since I was younger, I've always just really liked that and... um, that obviously can brush some people the wrong way sometimes. Um, but I was always a, a Bernie Sanders supporter. I don't know if you, how much you guys know about like US politics and stuff, but. Don't worry. As soon as like Brexit and things started happening in the UK, I kind of started watching more US politics because I was like, at least, at least they have a couple more problems than we do right now. Trust me, we've got plenty. Like, it's yeah it's it's really bad um but yeah I've always been in favor of some kind of universal health care system I just really don't think it's fair or ethical to deny people those basic rights to get the help that they need um and especially just in the states you can definitely see like region by region the different disparities and um like California is one of the best and I still have that experience at a hospital in California so that makes me just think like what is it like in Kansas or like some state in middle America that doesn't have nearly as many resources or anything um and I really just can't imagine what that even looks like 
Uh, and that's just, it's just sad. It's just really sad that like where you're born and your socioeconomic status is going to make such a big impact on the kind of the quality of care that you receive. And, um, especially here, I, I live in a pretty, it's like 30,000 people. So it's not like a huge city, but it's not like a tiny, tiny town. Um, but I live like right in the heart of Silicon Valley. So I'm like an hour away from San Francisco. Um, that's what like when, whenever we travel or I'm telling people who aren't from, uh, the States or from California, I always just say San Francisco because people know that, you know, but, and, and so we're, it's a pretty like affluent community. And so even just the resources that we have around here are so different from if you just go like 20 minutes South and it, it already, like you can see a difference. Which is just so, like, alarming to me. I don't know. It's just, it's really sad that um, something like that, that isn't, a lot of times, like, you can't really control, um, ends up playing such a big, such a big role. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Mental health services, uh, there are very different experiences, especially, like, the difference between if you ever get sectioned versus if you go into therapy, like, they're two different services, and they can... Like, everyone is different, so everyone has different opinions. Um, it's a bit bad, but my old school, um, there was a kind of running joke that a lot of people, like, our school didn't have very good mental health services. So people, a lot of people from our school would meet each other, like, in the therapy rooms in that borough. And it was, yeah, I do think there are pros and cons to everything. And I think even sometimes I think it comes down to like the doctor or the therapist you have like it's not necessarily like a systematic failure yeah no it's very true it's very like case-by-case basis it's really weird because like with cams a lot of people that I know are like oh my gosh yeah it really helps and everything but then a lot of other people are like no it doesn't because it depends a lot depending on where you are in the UK Mm. But because we live in London, it does mean that there are a lot of people and a lot of the time CAMS is very oversubscribed. Like you can apply for it and you'll be like, yeah, you're on a waiting list for six months. That could be very dangerous. Like a lot of the time when people then like get the courage to like go to the GP and ask for therapy, they need it now, not in six months. Like it's, yeah. That is true. Yeah, it's not something you can really put someone on the waiting list for and have to wait but yeah that's the it's same in the u.s when people do um a lot of times end up on really long waiting lists for to see a therapist or to just get certain mental health care in the u.s do you have like counselors in schools yeah so we have a um in my school we have a system it's called like cassie i don't know what it stands for counselors and something something I don't know. Probably youth at the end with that Y. I don't know. Um, but basically, we have we have like three counselors in our school, and our school's like mm, two thousand two hundred kids, something like that. So it's pretty big. Um, and as you can imagine, that's not really enough counselors to deal with that many students. And um, it's it's sad to say, but it's kind of just a joke at our school. Um, for the people who do go there to actually get care, they've, I, I've been there once or twice before because sometimes they will call you in if someone like recommends you. Um, and I remember like my health class freshman year, 
they one of the counselors came and did a presentation in the class and then handed out the referral slips to everyone in the class so that they could write someone down if they knew someone who needed services. And so being a bunch of freshmen, everyone just like wrote their friends' names down to like prank them so they would get called (laughs) out of class. And it was just like, oh my God, this is not what this is supposed to be. And it was just like so poorly rolled out and um, whatever. So so it's just the kind of thing too. And the, the the offices are located like you have to go like in the school and then like down a few levels. Like it's like the basement of the school basically. Make it any more shameful like to have to go to like the dungeon to go like get therapy. Like it just I think they could have done just so much better in terms of where they put it. The kind of quote unquote advertising that they do around it um, and and just having more counselors in general but yeah yeah I think it was the same in our school but it was more like the people who needed therapy or had things they needed would have to tell someone because they were having a hard time no one wanted to go to the school counsellors because basically what would happen is they'd be like this is serious let me call your parents and no one wants that you want someone to talk to like so it usually ended up being like friends talking among themselves, supporting each other when that was not always the best case because like you sometimes it would have a negative effect on the other person's mental health and that isn't no one's really like a, apt to deal with their own mental health, let alone someone else's mental health. You usually need to get someone who knows what they're doing. But you don't want it to be school because then they're just gonna go your child has a problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's a huge part of it is people not wanting their parents to know. Mm-hmm. As part of the school council, uh, um, my new school, I really am trying hard to get like a, a student counseling service. So like not somewhere like one where people get like a bit of training on like how to deal with like working through problems with people, probably like the low level stuff. Um, and then because you're more likely to talk to like a student who you're more like you have more trust in like and then at least they can I feel like just because as a young person you understand that especially with mental health what you always want the the like worse your mental health gets the more you want control and you're never going to want to give up that control especially if it means going to talk to someone and I feel like as a young person you understand that you want to make your own decisions and you don't want to feel like you're if you tell your parents they're going to take that control away from you so no that's such a great point and like such a good idea of something that needs to be put in place like that would be really cool so what misconceptions do you think there are about people who suffer from mental health illnesses and how do you think they affect like their daily lives and how they affected you um i mean i think the first one that people think of is like crazy uh, you know, I think when people think of like mental health issues, really the first thing that they go to is like depictions of like schizophrenia or like bipolar disorder in like media and film. I think that's kind of the first thing that people go to in their heads. Um, which I, I get it. I mean, it's, if it's what you see, that's how you're going to think about it. But when you, I mean, when you really think about it, it's like, 
one in it's like what one in five people suffer from depression something like that one in four um with anxiety it's so common but we just don't we don't put that part of it really into the narrative we kind of use the like dramatized version um and so it's just i i just wish that people would have kind of more empathy for that and more understanding that you don't always look like you have a mental health condition like just because you're you know you brushed your hair or you look like you're engaging with people normally that doesn't mean that you're not still dealing with something and um like that was something I found for a while was when I would tell people that I was like diagnosed with like bipolar 2 disorder they would be so shocked because they're like I didn't think that you were bipolar or like you don't seem like you're crazy I'm like, well, that's because I'm not. That's because that's not what bipolar is. <laughs> like that, do- it doesn't mean that I'm. I-, I don't know. I I don't even know what it is that they're expecting from me. Um, but it is hard because it it also does feel like once if you do suffer from any of the same kind of like symptoms as like the tropes, then there is kind of that fear that people are going to judge you off of that and um. Like if I am having like a hypomanic phase or something like that, where I am like really high energy or um, there's kind of that fear that if I say something about that, people are going to look at me differently and think of that as um, me being crazy. So I just, I wish that it would be normalized in that sense. And I think we're making really good progress about like starting to have these conversations, but um, I just think they need to be way more common. Yeah. Can I ask what the difference is between type 1 and, like, type 2 bipolar disorder? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I did not go to school for this, so I'm not a licensed professional, but from my (laughs) understanding, um, bipolar 1 has more frequent swings up and down, and you go from um, a low place, basically, to what's called a manic state, which is when you're very high energy you can be like talking really quickly you can be irritable just there's kind of a lot happening um and that's when that's when people kind of associate uh bipolar one with like that's what people think of when they think of bipolar disorder they think you're thinking of bipolar one of like people being like super super low super depressed suicidal and then really really high um in mania basically like doing doing things that you would not otherwise do if you were in kind of a normal state and then um bipolar 2 is basically the cycles are a little bit longer so instead of you know going in and out of a a manic phase and a low phase like every week it's normally over months kind of and you're typically in a lower state as kind of like your resting point so If I'm in like a low for like three months and then maybe I'll have a hypomanic episode for a few days and then it kind of goes back down to a low. Um, But with bipolar 2, it's you're in a hypomanic state. So it's not as intense as mania, um, like full blown mania. So it's more like for me, the way it manifests is more um, it's it's like you're talking quicker and. Um, I'm normally like a little bit more irritable with like my family and, um, I'll just, I'll just like need to be doing things and I'll stay up and, you know, organize my whole room for like five hours and just like, you don't sleep as much. You're just kind of like running. It's like if you had like six cups of coffee, 
like you're just kind of buzzed. Um, and the, the really dangerous part too with bipolar is when you end up in like a mixed state, which is when you're, um, you're still in either a hypomanic or manic kind of phase, depending on whether you're bipolar two or bipolar one. Um, but you still have the kind of low thinking. So you're, you're like going in between the two. So your mentality is much more, is much darker, more depressed, more suicidal, but you still have kind of the impulsivity of hypomania or mania. So, um, it's, it could be, you know, like you are driving really fast because you're being really like reckless because that's like a mania or hypomania type thing. Um, but when you're in that mixed state, you don't care. You're like, if I die, I die, you know? And so that's where it's like a really scary combination because it's like the recklessness and the impulsivity of the the mania or hypomania and the kind of suicidality and just like passively being willing to die or whatever happens. Um, so it's like being really careful about watching those two kind of combine. Mm. Do you recognize when you're in those states? So I, a little bit, like I, I, I can kind of think it. And there's part of me that's like, I think I'm kind of experiencing that right now, but I'm not always a hundred percent sure. But then once I reflect on it, like a few days later, like a week or so later, I can definitely like identify it then. And like my therapist will kind of help me identify it. Um, but, but it's definitely like you feel different and you feel a little weirder. And, um, I mean, I, I can't generalize for everyone. I know that I'm probably more in tune with, um, my, my mood and, and whatnot than other people. Um, but, it's just yeah you can you can I at least for me you can definitely kind of feel it but um I'm never like a hundred percent sure until kind of after the fact I think it's it's like with anything that when you look back at it you can kind of compare it to how you normally are or like your baseline then you're like okay yeah there was something different there yeah exactly Hmm, that's quite interesting I didn't even know there were two types of (laughs) I didn't either don't worry (laughs) That's very good to know. And yeah, I feel like even even if you are diagnosed with the same mental health disorder or like same type, even it still manifests differently in everyone. So yeah, that's that's the hard thing with mental health is you can say something about yourself, but then someone else can go, no, this is how I feel about it. And you're like, neither of us are wrong, but they're both, yeah, kind of valid. Um, So back to like, misconceptions why do you think they occur and do you think mental health should be more focused on in the school curriculum absolutely I think it needs to be a mandatory part of um like health class health and fitness I I just think it would do so much good for kids to first of all be able to learn about these things and understand that they're not going through anything alone and also that they're that they're not crazy and that they're not weird for struggling with those kinds of things and that it's very normal and um yeah i i really think that it needs to be taught and um sorry what was the other part of the question i completely blanked <laughs> um yeah just like why do you think the misconceptions occur in the first place I mean I think you touched on it a bit with like how mental health is presented in the media because everything is kind of dramatized and you can kind of say 
that about like any issue that comes up in the media um, and how it isn't accurately represented. But I do think because we don't even learn about it in school, that's why we kind of accept what we what we see in media. Um, and even and I feel like even in the news, like when someone is covered or like a lot of the time when when crimes are committed, they're like, oh, yeah, it's because they had mental health issues. And I'm like, that's a very iffy, like, it reflects badly on, like, when you generalize it to, like, all people who struggle with, like, those issues. And, it, yeah, and it definitely makes people think that, like, people with mental health issues are, like, more prone to be violent, when in reality, they're more likely to be victims of crime than perpetrators. And I don't know, it's just when you paint that kind of narrative, people get scared and people start to fear people with mental health issues but it's like the other way around in reality like those are the people who people who do struggle with mental health issues are more likely to be victims of crime so it's kind of kind of crazy and also because of like the ostracization you feel if if you do suffer from really bad mental health and people don't understand it you you feel very much like isolated from society and you feel like you're more the victim of society rather than them should be scared of you like it's kind of a a both ways thing yeah absolutely so maybe besides this podcast and yours um how do you think we could go about changing society's perception of mental health oh yeah uh i yeah i think honestly a big way is just sharing being able to share your own experience and talking to other people about their experiences um and just kind of bringing it into everyday conversation. I think that there definitely needs to be more school curriculum added on it. That's just like required. Um, and, and I think if people learned how to talk about it in a constructive way and even just like knowing some of the vocabulary, like I feel like there's so much that has to do with how people communicate about mental health that makes it really complicated. Like, just when people talk about, um, like, people who don't actually suffer from mental health conditions and are like, oh, like, my this speech gave me so much anxiety. And kind of talking about the difference between, like, feeling anxiety and having anxiety. And, and the same thing with depression. Like, actually, like, struggling with depression and having diagnosed depression versus experiencing depression. And how, how they're distinctly different things. You know, and everyone's felt like there's even with depression, like people think of that as um, just being sad. And it's like, well, it's not just sadness. It could manifest like that, but it's also hopelessness, guilt, um, fear of future. Like it could be so many different things and it's not just always sadness, you know. So I just I just think that education is really where there's the most power to actually make a difference and um but like when it comes to you yourself just talking about it with people just talking about it with anyone because if you even when you share like little bits and pieces of your story it makes people so much more willing to talk about their own experiences and um like that's just something that I've found definitely through this podcast is like if I say like a little something about, you know, what I've been through, people are suddenly it, it's almost like it gives them permission to open up and talk about their experiences. And I just think that that if we just had more like casual conversations like that, that were just like checking in, um, 
there would everyone would just benefit so much yeah i 100 percent agree like i don't know if this is just like a london thing or an everywhere thing but when people make like suicide jokes and say oh my gosh yeah i want to kill myself yep that annoys me so much because i'm like no you don't firstly and secondly that's not something you should joke about in any way but yeah i don't know it's just yeah, I've even had the flip side of that conversation. Like, people I know who have struggled with mental health, so they're like, it's not okay if people use those jokes so, like, relaxedly. But then they make those jokes, and I'm like, no, I, I don't want you to make that joke either because I know what that means to you. Yes, absolutely. It's, yeah, I don't know. I think it it is a part of, like, people trying to own their experience and being able to talk about it in, like, meme form or joke form. But talking about it, you have to talk about it in the right way. Because then when you when you do bring it up, it could be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Like, you, you say you're depressed. Oh, you're, you're just, like, being normal. You're just making a joke or, like, something just happened right now. But it means that people kind of treat it in a more relaxed way and really it should be something when when you hear about like one of your friends and they say they're having these mental health issues it should be how do how do you kind of how are you going to move forward and deal with this and make sure it isn't a reoccurring thing like it shouldn't be something you joke about and then look at that that's a I don't know conversation topic or something yeah. we have in common or like I don't know no absolutely yeah in regards to like social media do you think social media has like like reduced the stigma surrounding mental health by increasing like awareness or what's your opinion on that yeah I go back and forth on social media all the time there are times where I think it's great and I think that it does give people a place to kind of find that community and um to share about their experiences because I definitely do see times when people will post something and like write out kind of this long paragraph sort of about um, what they've been going through or something like that. Sorry. I don't know. Um, But yeah, I think social media can definitely go both ways, but it's, it's, it's weird too, because I've also seen people really, like try to talk about it but then end up like trivializing themselves like they'll post a picture or something and be like I'm so depressed and then people um people don't take it seriously I don't think and it's that weird like cry for help but then people also are like oh you just want attention um so I think it's it's just kind of a tricky line to walk in a tricky just area to navigate in general and I think, you know, when you do see, obviously everyone's putting their best self out on Instagram. You're not seeing those like real raw images. Um, and so it, it can definitely trick your brain, even when you're trying, even when you're aware of it, it can still trick your brain into kind of thinking that everyone else is perfect or, you know, has everything under control and you're the one who doesn't, um, when obviously that's not the reality, but especially when you're in a low place, your brain wants to convince you that you're stupid and that you're wrong and that you're alone. And um, so it's just kind of constantly having to fight that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's like, I feel like when it's kind of how people use social media, because some, yeah, I do know that there is like a whole 
dark side of even even like other places like YouTube. I don't know if that's really a social media, but um, yeah. But like the internet where people are actually perpetuating their mental health and not doing anything about it, and and that's a really like you can fall into like looking even like places where people post like triggering images and I'm like that doesn't help anyone <laughs> and it can be a really bad like mindset where everyone where people are posting things and they're perpetuating or negative mindset then you think it's not something that you have to or on the other hand where you see people talking about their bad mental health experiences and then you feel like your experience is kind of I don't know you think it's less serious or like you shouldn't be feeling as bad because something like that didn't happen to you like you see a lot of like tragedies and you're like that didn't happen to me why am I feeling like so down um but I do think like there is a whole like trend and group of people who are really being honest on the social media and it's really kind of changing the landscape a bit on um knowing that people also have bad days and giving people more of a like 3d full like look into people's lives which is also really intimate like it's it's one thing being on social media it's another thing being really honest and allowing yourself to be judged about that um and yeah I think it's a it's a difficult topic but I think there is great like potential for like a good force yeah I feel like it goes back to that whole idea of education and it being important in in regards to like mental health um and the idea being that like yeah if if we were taught more about mental health and have an understanding of how we should actually talk about it and how we can like approach different things and even like i feel like there's so many different elements of mental health that people just don't really discuss like for example medication and like whether whether that helps them or not how they feel about that and yeah no that's so true like medication is one of those things that so many people so many people use i mean so many like i take medication every single day and I rely on that to you know keep me stable and keep me feeling good and that it's helped me so much and it takes takes time to find the the one that works the best for you but um for me it's been incredible and then but there's so many people who would benefit from taking it but either don't know about it or just like don't want to because they think it's going to change who they are as a person or things like that and they're all like valid concerns and they're just things that we need to be having a dialogue about so that people feel like they have all the information to make the best decision for them, whether that is going on meds or whether it's not. But, you know, you shouldn't be basing that decision on like partial information. So I think it's just, that's, that's like such a good point, Joyce, of just like something that is never really talked about in this sphere at all. Yeah. I think it's also when it gets down to like, cause to an extent it's your, um decision if you go on medication like you can just get therapy and like not take medication but I think it's a bad mix of like I think in private healthcare especially in the UK um because you are paying for it and they are very exclusive um you can basically if you ask for meds they'll just give it to you like which is really bad because they're they're the medical professional they're supposed to be giving you the advice not you going I want medication to solve all my problems which it that's not exactly what they're there for they also have a lot of like fine detail um but um yeah that and then also I think when you're under 18 it's really hard to get medication and like and when you're going through the public sector it's also yeah they they don't really want you to 
go on medication a lot of the time and also you need your like obviously you need your parents permission and like it's just a very long process so it, it people who don't even want to talk about their mental health issues even though they're really serious they're not gonna yeah they're not gonna get to a stage where they could get the medication they really need so yeah I think it is something with a wider conversation about mental health that could really like people who need medication could like learn about it and benefit of it yeah definitely yeah so what was it like for you like getting medication um so I think one of the tough things at least for me with medication was even just getting like the right diagnosis um, was tough because at first I was diagnosed with like major depressive disorder and I was kind of going off of that for a while. And so I was trying um, different SSRIs basically to supplement, you know, brain chemicals that I was lacking. Um, And none of those were really working for me. I was on Prozac for a while, um, like Zoloft, like trying just some of the traditional SSRIs to, um, help me feel better and they didn't and that's a pretty like normal experience like a lot of people will try have to try a few different meds and what's tough about that is sometimes that can be a kind of lengthy process because you can't it they're not the kind of thing really where you can just try it for one day and be like it works or it doesn't work like normally you're you're weaning on you're getting up up to a certain dose and you're trying that dose for a few weeks and then if it's really, you know, not working or like depends on the type of medication, then you have to wean off of it. And so it's like a several month long process and it can be really discouraging if you're not finding the one that works for you right away. Um, but once I got the bipolar two diagnosis, that was when, um, they put me on a drug. It's called Lamotrigine and it um is an antipsychotic but it's used to treat like bipolar disorder and um there's another one too it might be schizophrenia but it's used to tr- it's used to treat other dis- other mood disorders too as like just like kind of a mood regulation um and it's been like incredible for me it's helped me so much and had I not gotten the bipolar 2 diagnosis, I probably would have still just been in the world of SSRIs trying those kinds of medications, um, which probably wouldn't have had much of an effect on me. And sometimes for people who do struggle with bipolar disorder, there are um, certain, you know, chemicals and certain medications that you can take that end up making it worse and triggering it. So it's it's definitely hard and and kind of intimidating obviously when you hear that i'm not trying to scare anyone away from medication because it's changed my life truly for the better um but it it can be kind of a hectic wild process um but from what i've found and from you know what i've observed the people who do decide to do it and do kind of stick it out through that time of uncertainty almost always are really glad that they did once they find the med that works for them but um it's kind of like finding the right therapist too everything it's all like dating mental health it's just all like dating like you gotta like date your therapist to find out like which one's right for you like it's not always going to be the first one it's the same thing with your medications like you just got to find the one that's most compatible with you yeah What's your opinion on like self-diagnosing? Because I know that a lot of people are like, oh no, this is really bad. And other people are like, yeah, this has really helped me. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it's good that you're looking into what you're feeling. Um, 
I think that's definitely a good thing. Like if you're aware that, you know, your symptoms are that you're feeling hopeless or that you're having a big mood swing or something like that. I think being in tune with that is really good. And, um, knowing sort of what you're feeling and like maybe just like writing that down, um, is very helpful. But I think once you do get into the realm sort of of self-diagnosis, it, it does get a little bit dicey. Like, I think it's okay if you have a suspicion sort of like I think I knew that I was depressed from before I was diagnosed with anything um but I think I didn't take any like action on that almost until I had like a full diagnosis um so and I think especially I think that's probably more common too for like anxiety and depression um because people kind of have a better, like the general public, I think has a quote unquote better understanding of what that looks like. And so, um, you know, if someone's trying to self-diagnose with anxiety, they, they think of panic attacks or they think of, you know, getting shaky and sweaty or something like that, but really it could be so many other things. And so, um, I think there is obviously the opportunity to misdiagnose, which can uh, not be good especially if you're trying to like treat yourself, which I would not recommend at all. Um, but I think if you do have kind of a suspicion of something, that's fine. But then you have to take the next step to a medical professional and say, this is what I was feeling. You know, I've researched this and I think it might be this, but ultimately you have to let them, um, kind of guide you from there because, they really know so much more than WebMD does. And um, as comforting as it can feel, it, in some ways it is kind of just this like false sense of comfort if you're just going off of what, you know, the internet's telling you. But um, but I think it's good to explore, but definitely need to take the next step to a, a healthcare professional. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Yeah. I think... Um... I think self-diagnosis it's like you you know what you're feeling much better than usually what you can communicate to the other person but the issue is that you don't know what it indicates like you don't know what what it really leads to but even even if you do like make a right guess or or do self-diagnose correctly you definitely shouldn't one treat yourself because you are you're not a chemist you do not know what it's going to do to your brain like yeah I feel like it's 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 good because then you you're not leaving it all up to the professional you're not like why don't you know what's wrong with me when it's you who have to kind of lead them to the answer but yeah I definitely think it's dangerous in the whole like realm of it's it's the same with like physical things like when you have physical symptoms no one's like okay I mean some people do it some people are like oh yeah I have knee pain oh no I have like arthritis like it doesn't it doesn't yeah. always mean that and also sometimes it can some people who have less bad mental health can stress themselves out with like um looking at symptoms and going oh my gosh I have like there's something wrong with my brain and then it's like the placebo effect where you're making it worse just by thinking it is worse yeah I definitely think get a healthcare professional my my dad's a nurse so um yeah we always went to him when we had like something minor wrong but he would always be like healthcare professional first no self-care um but yeah um yeah so what have you learned through your experience of like 
starting the podcast, but also like through your mental health journey? And what advice would you give yourself five or 10 years ago? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I've learned is probably just the power of vulnerability um, and just really not being afraid to share your experiences and, and own them because they're part of your story and they're part of what makes you you. And that's amazing. And anything that you think is um, shameful or something that you should hide away, it's not. And it makes you just that much more powerful and strong for being able to endure what you have. So I think just, just not being afraid to do that and, and really just taking that risk. And, um, like I know for me, just starting the podcast initially, there was kind of that fear of like, Oh, people are going to judge me. And, you know, I'm sure that there, some people have, but I, it doesn't bother me because it, um, I know that I've been able to share my story and that my story has helped other people. And I can guarantee you that any, for anyone who does choose to share their story in whatever way it does help other people it helps other people not only like connect with you and relate to you but um feel less alone and feel like they can deal with their own issues and can can openly share about what they've been through too um yeah and in terms of like advice that I would give myself a few years ago I I always hate when people say this in interviews and stuff but it was so true that I was a perfectionist to an absolute fault um like I hate that term perfectionist because what it really was was OCD manifesting in me at a young age and um it definitely like took over my life and I had these expectations for myself that were just completely unrealistic and just plain unhealthy and um I just I was so hard on myself unnecessarily and in my head, I needed to be the best athlete and the best student and the best friend and all of these things. Um, and, and in that pursuit, I completely neglected myself. And, um, that's, I think I would just say, take way more time for you and stop holding yourself to such a ridiculously high standard because it's stupid. No one else will hold you to that standard and you're good enough just as you are. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to prove that you're worthy like you are. That's just something that is inherent and, you know, you don't have to like earn it. I just, I think that that was a mindset that I always had that was really toxic. So I would definitely tell myself to chill with that. <laughs> yeah. I think also because of like social media and stuff, we we all know what a perfect life would look like, but one, it's unrealistic, but we still somehow think it's achievable but um yeah just like self-acceptance is such a such a journey but yeah where do you want to be in like the next five years hopefully college (laughs) um I mean so I'm going to school in Boston in the fall I'm going to um Northeastern University and I'll be studying criminal justice and psychology so I'm I'm really excited um I've been waiting to go to college for such a long time at this point. Um, and I just feel like it's really the next step that I want to take. Um, so I'm really excited. And then hopefully it like, and the reason I say five years too, is because that my school does a like program called co-op where basically you're fully employed for like a year of school. So you, um, 
like instead of doing classes, you're fully employed, but you're in the sort of sector that is, you know, appropriate to your major. So it's not just like you're fully employed at Starbucks. It's like you're working in, you know, the district attorney's office or whatever it is. Um, so that's why probably five years or so, hopefully I'll be graduating college. But um, I don't know exactly what what job I want, but anything really in the criminal justice arena or the psych arena. <laughs> so it could, we'll have to see kind of what what it actually ends up being. But um, I look forward to checking in with you guys then and <laughs> seeing where we're all at by that point. That's pretty amazing. There's a lot there. It's definitely a wide, wide arena. <laughs> Especially with everything going on now. Yeah, very relevant. It's insane right now. There's so much. Yeah, I mean, obviously I can't really speak to U- the UK, but um, the US needs so much reform. So, so, so much. Um, so just I'm hoping that being in that area, I can actually make like a real impact. So, yeah, yeah that's really cool. Yeah, I think it's I don't even I mean, I have like a degree that I probably am going to go study at uni, hopefully. But um, like, I think the future just seems so unpredictable right now. But I think having like at least a degree or something you want to go into is, yeah, it's a good way forward and like to make some sense of the future. Um, to be honest, last year I would have been like, I probably have a rough idea of what the future is going to look like. Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> I could not have predicted. <laughs> but yeah, I think everyone finds their own place at some time. Um, and yeah. And I think just having conversations like these is something anyone can have and everyone's perspective is valid. And I just think it's something you can do outside academics, which just makes life so much more bearable for so many more people. So, yeah, I really love what you're doing and what you want to do in the future. Um, And yeah, thanks for having this interview. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. This was pretty amazing speaking to you after like following you for like a year through your podcast thank you guys so much for having me too it's so like sweet that you guys wanted to even have me on i'm like i'm just like a random girl doing a little podcast and so (laughs) it's just so i love what you guys are doing too and and really just anything that gives you know young people a platform and a place to talk and just share our experiences because I feel like so often um, our experiences are kind of seen as like less than or like we're not fully adults yet or something like that, which I've never understood that argument. But um, I love just having, you know, young voices added to added to like the media sphere. So good job, you guys keep it up. (laughs) 